Hey everyone, it's Monika and welcome to the fourth episode of my mini-series podcast, Sadhya Stories. As a quick refresher, this podcast is a creative series powered by the miscellaneous tales from my home of Kerala, India. Every other week, I'll share a mini-story from the coconut-filled landscape of Kerala, discuss creative writing tips and tricks, and finally give you all, my listeners, a prompt to work out your own creative muscles. If you haven't yet, be sure to check out my previous episodes, available on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Anchor and much more. Two weeks ago, after I told you all the tragic love story of Kanchana and Moidin, we talked about reverse poetry, a form of expression that allows you to deliver two but opposite messages weaved in the same set of lines. Today, I'd like to share a short but anonymous submission that I got in my inbox. Here goes. He doesn't see the beauty in anything. You can't ever convince me that he can change. Now, read backwards, this reads, He can change. You can't ever convince me that he doesn't see the beauty in anything. So, as I said in my last episode, the key is to alternate definitive statements with accusatory phrases. And if you want to hear more details, make sure you listen to episode 3, The Language of Lovers. And to Anonymous, great job. It's simple, but effective. Two weeks ago, something else very special happened. To my fellow Keralites or Malayali people listening in, we celebrated Ornam. Ornam is a 10-day harvest festival celebrated in Kerala as a state holiday, which means all religions and communities come together. But it actually has Hindu mythological origins. I actually wanted to tell this story during my last episode, but since episode two was also mythology, I thought I'd give you all a little break from the fantastical. So, just like episode two, I'd like to put forward some similar disclaimers. The following story is a work of mythology, and if you or someone has heard a varying or different version, that is okay. It is just a story. With that being said, let's head to an ancient mythological battlefield. The gods, or devas, were at war with the demons, or asuras, in a massive struggle for control of the world. Both parties had ideals for how the world should be managed, and most importantly, who should be in charge. The leader of the demons, a talented and skilled warrior named Mahabali, was able to expertly defeat the gang of gods and assume power over the world, his ruling seat right in Kerala. Mahabali was an incredible ruler. He didn't believe in the very oppressive caste system. He distributed wealth and resources equitably among his subjects and was a gleaming symbol that anyone, regardless of your background, could make for an inspirational leader. From the get-go, Mahabali challenged the black-and-white notion that demons were evil or disgusting. He was a fair and just ruler who happened to be born into a misunderstood community. As with any story that starts off a little too good to be true, we need a villain. Up in the heavens, the leader of the gods, Indra, was sitting up on his throne, fuming with jealousy. He thought to himself, how could this demonic being win the love and affection of the world? They should have been worshipping him, Indra. He was the leader of the heavens, and if anyone deserved earth, it was him, not the demon spawn. So, the envious king rallied up his fellow friends in the heavens and approached Vishnu, one of the most powerful gods in Hindu mythology, capable of reincarnating himself into various forms and disguising himself on earth. The other gods begged, and for lack of a better word, guilt-tripped, 
Vishnu into using his unearthly powers to put the beloved Mahabali in his place. So, reluctantly, Vishnu transformed himself and ascended on earth as a measly-looking dwarf named Vamana. He reached Mahabali's kingdom on a very convenient occasion. The benevolent king was giving away wealth and possessions as an act of charity to anyone who needed it. The dwarf approached the king and simply, yet connivingly, asked him for three steps of land. Mahabali burst into laughter. He looked at Vamana's small feet and asked him, Are you sure that's all you want? I could give you a lot more. Vamana nodded. That's all I want, he said. Three steps of land measured by my own feet. The king, happily, yet feeling a little perplexed, obliged. Vamana then invoked his godly abilities and grew into a gigantic being, larger than the earth. Within two steps, he covered all of Mahabali's ruling territory, as in the whole world. Before taking his third step, he turned to the king and said, It looks like there's no room left for me to take. You say you're such a great king, but you can't even keep your word? Challenged, taken aback, but always truthful to his word, Mahabali offered his own head for Vamana's final step. Vamana placed his foot on the demon king and kicked him off the edge of the planet and into the underworld, officially claiming earth for the gods. The people of Kerala were enraged at the gods' horrible act of injustice. They turned to the entire community of demons and threatened the gods above with war again. Vishnu, now returned to his godly form and feeling incredibly guilty, worked with Mahabali to come to a compromise of sorts. The gods in no way would give up power over the earth, but once a year, Mahabali would be given the divine permission to visit Kerala and his beloved people for 10 days, which is known as the Festival of Ornam. Today, Ornam is celebrated across Kerala by all communities to welcome home their fictional king that, for his short rule, erased their differences and kept them united. People create these beautiful designs out of flowers, participate in snake boat races, perform elaborate dances, host wrestling competitions, food eating competitions, plant trees, sing folk songs, and so much more. To summarize the festivities of Onam would do it in injustice. It's meant to be celebrated in a variety of ways by a variety of peoples that call Kerala home. Perhaps most importantly, people gather to eat a satya, a feast that traditionally has 28 different dishes that served on a banana leaf. The satya represents the diversity of the powers of the festival of Onam, and on a personal note, the crux of my podcast. However, Included in this diversity of Onam is an oppressed perspective as well. Marginalized communities in Kerala, namely the people born into the lower rungs of a very oppressive caste system, view the story of Mahabali as symbolic of how upper caste peoples have abused and suppressed lower caste people in the state and throughout India. They believe the royalty and beauty that's written of the gods and the repulsiveness and negativity written of the demons has a direct correlation to the depiction of upper caste versus lower caste people. For those not familiar with the caste system, it's an extremely oppressive and backwards ideology that categorizes human beings into levels of superiority. The Hindu caste system is one of the most ancient forms of social stratification that has unfortunately survived till date. It has origins in mythology, invasions, and the very disturbing notion that lighter-skinned people are somehow above darker-skinned people. Though many reforms, such as in land or attempts at affirmative action, have been made, 
people who were unjustly categorized into lower castes still continue to face oppression. In Kerala, some of these marginalized people actually hold hunger strikes and demonstrations on Onam, as the holiday painfully reminds them that despite Mahabali's achievements, generosity, and fairness, he was unjustly stripped from power by beings who thought they were superior. Even the Onam Sadhya, which has been widely popularized as a vegetarian feast in Kerala, is eaten purposefully with meat by these communities. I believe if Arnhem is truly a holiday for all of the people of Kerala celebrating a king who defied the oppressive labels placed on him, then everyone's stories, struggles, and celebrations deserve to be told, not just what is mainstream. I encourage all of you listening, as you research or even listen to news, be sure to hear the voices of those with different perspectives. The same stretch of history can sound very different depending on the author, and all of these differences can hold some truth. So, with that being said, let's switch gears and go straight into this week's writing challenge. Again, unlike some of my previous episodes, I'm not going to hone in on a tidbit of what I said and focus on a technique, but instead present an interesting challenge. This week, in honor of differing perspectives and the stories that don't get to be told, I'm going to introduce a dual short story challenge. The prompt is simple. Write a short story or a flash fiction piece that ranges from about 100 to 300 words about a conflict, and make sure you focus on a singular side or a character's perspectives. Make the audience resonate and empathize with them, convince them to take their side of history. After that, I want you to rewrite the story, but from another perspective, and this time try to sell that side. In order for you guys to nail this in the head, you'll need to first remember the main elements that compose a short story, which are character, setting, conflict, plot, and theme. To hear more details into each of these, be sure to listen back to my episode two if you haven't just yet. After you come up with these, you'll need to hone in on the first bucket, character. Before you dive into either of these dual stories, you need to create two but opposing character sketches with your words. Try to answer the following questions. What's your character's name? What's their backstory? What's their personality? What are their desires? And most importantly, what is the main conflict or struggle that they'll need to overcome? Here's an example of two opposing character sketches from me. The first one is someone named Rumi. He's a young man, part of the majority blue-skinned population of a fictional planet called Zade. He's motivated by unity. He loves to see the different groups and communities of Zade come together in harmony and celebration. However, a civil war is brewing, and some of the minority groups who claim that they don't get the same rights as the blue-skinned people have started revolting and causing violence. My second character is Eve. She's a young woman, part of the minority green-skinned population of Zade. She's motivated by justice and equality, and it pains her to see her people denied certain rights and infuriates her that the government tries to cover it up. She wants to fight until she and her people can be treated like they have blue skin. So those are my character sketches, and now I'll get into a little piece of short fiction from both sides. Before I dive in, I have to say another quick disclaimer. The following is a work of fiction, and any resemblance to actual events, locales, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. With that being said, here is Rumi's perspective. The ombre blue flag with sparkling green and yellow speckles flies proudly from my front porch. 
Zaid was all I ever knew, and I couldn't be more proud. I went to school with the green and yellow-skinned people, and from whatever I observed, we got along, and we were happy. Mom and Dad did say that the green skins were a little brutish, for lack of a better word, but we never talked like that in public. In fact, I loved hearing about their culture and eating their food at restaurants and dressing up on their holidays. But ever since I left secondary school, everything changed. The news channels that showed all of us coming together in charity, dancing and singing, had quickly switched to clips of the green-skinned folk violently protesting, burning down shops and streets that I loved, and turning into these monsters. What did they want? Why were they ruining my home, our home? Here is Eve's perspective. That flag was only meant for them. It's painted entirely in blue, with green and yellow speckles meant to signify us, thrown on as an afterthought. We've been on Zaid as long as those blue-skinned folk, but they've always treated us as second class. I remember my mom and dad waiting for hours in line to get me and my brother into school after being waitlisted at so many institutions. Our crime? We were green-skinned and they had limited seats for us. The education system is just the tip of the iceberg. The random searches, the crap healthcare, I could go on. It all hit the fan when they decided to cruelly and violently break up a peaceful discussion we held in an old community center. They came at us with batons, left us black and blue, and told us we were never to breathe a word that could be perceived as uprising again. Of course, the news didn't show any of that, and when we finally had enough and took to the streets, we were the ones who got vilified. Zaid is not and will never be my home. So, I really hope you guys give this week's challenge a shot and let me know what you think. Even if you don't get into the writing this week, I hope I can leave you all with encouragement to seek out a different perspective and challenge your worldview. As always, you can mail me your story submissions, feedback, and suggestions at sadhyastories at gmail.com. That's S-A-D-H-Y-A stories at gmail.com and I'll pick one of you all to share in two weeks whenever or wherever you're listening to this from. I hope you have a peaceful rest of your day. And until we talk again, happy writing.